So anybody that's uh, not been here before, I appreciate you being here. Did you girls, did you get that whole skit? I mean, I'm going to tell you guys, the sooner you get that figured out, the sooner you understand it, the whole much better off you're going to be to realize guys just are not that deep, okay? They really aren't. What we are concerned with and what we think about and we think they're thinking, they're not thinking. I want you to understand, they are not thinking it. I never realized how guys thought all the time I was, like, younger until after I had Cameron. Then I realized, you know what, he just, when he says he's not thinking about nothing, he really is not thinking about anything. He really isn't. There's nothing deep going on inside there, and a lot of times it is. It's cars, sports. You know, for him, it's rock climbing. It's those kind of things. That's what he's concerned about. It's not concerned about girls, and, you know, every now and then I'm sure they think about it. But it's like, you know, and then girls, though, we obsess. We obsess. What did he mean when he said that? When he looked at me, did he think that? What do you think he was thinking? It's like, he's not. He's not. I want you to know he's not. He's not thinking of you. He really probably is not thinking of you. There is an old song, and it's, uh, it's the girl that just won the uh, Country Music Awards, that young girl that's like a senior in high school. What's her name? Okay. Do you know the song that she talks about wearing these blue jeans? And every time he sees these blue jeans, he's going to think of her? No, he's not. I want you to understand, he's not. He's not going to think of that girl in the blue jeans. Chances are he's never going to think about her again. That's just how guys are. They really don't have that much romance in them. It really isn't. Um, I kind of want to tell you a real quick joke first, starting off. And this is just a joke, a funny, dumb joke, okay? I just thought it was kind of funny. All right, so I heard this story about a minister who was preparing to preach on sex. Now, if you guys know anything about ministers, they're always nervous about sex. I'm nervous about the sex series. Not so much to tell you, because I'm fine with speaking to anybody about anything. But, you know, I always have this cross to bear that your parents are going to come up to me and say, did you really say that? And it's like, uh, yeah, we did. <laughs> we did. I don't know if you've listened to the message of Shelby online, but a couple of things she said, I'm like, as me and Gina were in the back of the room, we're like, oh, gosh, that's what she said. It's kind of scary. And then, of course, you know, my husband's teaching downstairs, and I said to Cameron, as soon as he came up, I said, tell me Dad didn't say anything really bad. He says, well, he made a couple hand gestures that were a little freaky. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I don't want to know. So anyway, ministers preaching about sex, you know, it is very nerve-wracking. But this guy decides he really wants to teach on sex. He thinks people need to know it, you know. And his wife, who's a little embarrassed, a little bit shy about the topic, says to him, you know, honey, sex is such a private matter. You know, maybe what you should do is you really should pick something else to speak about. You know, why don't you preach that sermon that you were going to preach about water skiing? That would be a good one to preach instead, you know. And after a bit more talking, he's like, you know, okay, maybe I should just preach the message I already had prepared on water skiing and leave the sex series alone. But on this Sunday morning when he gets up, his wife's sick. She's not feeling so good. She's like, I'm just going to stay home. I'm going to relax. I'm going to rest, take it easy. And, you know, she decides to stay home, stay in bed. And without her there, the minister's like, this is a perfect time. I can give my message on sex. She's not going to be there to give me the funny looks in the crowd or anything like that. And uh, he tosses out the sermon on water skiing, and he instead preaches the sex um, sermon instead. Later on that afternoon, a couple of this girl's friends, this lady's friends, come by just to see how she's doing. You know, how are you? Are you okay? Are you feeling better? Brings her soup and all this. And they walk in, and they're just raving over the minister's sermon that morning you know 
He spoke with such authority this morning, the one friend says. The other lady agrees. He was so eloquent, and we were all so caught up in his enthusiasm. The minister's wife was just puzzled. She said, authority? Enthusiasm? Well, I don't understand. He's only ever done it twice himself, just up at the lake and another time down by the river, and both times he did it, he hurt himself. (laughs) So, you know, a little bit of miscommunication there, see? So, of course, you know, she's thinking he's teaching on water skiing and the poor, you know, the poor guy's teaching about sex. And believe me, I'm sure he had a lot to live down on that one. When she figured out, she probably wasn't so happy. Um, you know, if you think about the word sex, three little letters, a lot of meaning, <laughs> a whole lot of meaning there. You know, the word sex is a very interesting thing. You know, there's this old saying that says if you want to capture someone's attention, But you know what? If you really want to get anybody's attention, just say the word sex. Because <laughs> that's all it takes. Sex. People are like, what? What are you talking about? Who's talking about sex? I want to hear it. You know, that's how people are. There's just something about sex that it brings everybody to our attention. We tend to really pay attention when people talk about sex. I kind of want to talk a little bit about me. It's not going to be a good topic for me. But I want to talk to you about how um, some words really that I could use to describe myself when I was maybe, um, unfortunately, 13, 14, 15. And uh, those words would really be lonely, desperate, and insecure. And I think those words just sum up who I really was at that time. And, you know, you can ask, what does that really have to do with sex? And I think you would really have to say everything. Because what I was at that time, when you figure I was lonely and I was desperate and I was insecure, out of that loneliness, what I did was I reached out to members of the opposite sex. And really out of my insecurity, insecurity, I, I really let boys, because they weren't men, they were boys, offer me so little. And out of desperation, I really gave myself sexually to those who had no real respect for me and really couldn't because they were just boys, simply boys and they don't have anything to offer at that age they really don't they can't give much at that age so it's really kind of a a sad state of affairs because a lot of times what ends up happening is you think that you're mature enough to handle it but you know looking back I realized that those three words really did describe me quite a bit I was very lonely and I was very insecure and I was very desperate the reason why I want to talk to you about that today is because I really see the same thing happening to girls all the time today. You know, it's really not like it was then. I mean, there was obviously a sexual liberation type thing then. I mean, it wasn't like I grew up in the dark ages. I mean, it was when I was a teenager, it was the 80s, you know, when you guys were being <laughs> thought of <laughs> and your parents thinking about having sex. You know, that's where you guys are because how old you guys are, you're probably not that old. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because spoke, it, sex was spoken of about all the time. I mean, you saw it on everything. I mean, that was when Michael Jackson was doing the thriller dance and all this stuff was going on, you know. And uh, sex was definitely something that people talked about a lot. But I think it's, it's even as liberating as it was then. People really speak about it now as it's such a liberating thing, you know. It's uh, have sex with whoever you want and whenever you want and, and this whole matter like this, the way we should think about it, very cavalier, that it doesn't matter 
It doesn't matter who we have sex with because it's just something that you do and it's just an experience and you get over it and you're done. And uh, the problem with that whole way of thinking, though, is it really doesn't take in the, the aspect of God and relationship with God and how God really created us to live and act. And uh, no matter how the world tells us to be liberated and think how sex should be, um, there's really something inside of a woman, regardless if you're really following after God yet or not, that says that isn't how it's supposed to be. There really is something there. And I'm going to kind of talk to you and expand on this a little bit more because I, I know already there's probably some thoughts that say, yeah, well, maybe not for you. But I want to explain that whole situation to you a little bit more. Last, year, last week when we talked about the fact about sex, we told you sex is not bad. It's not. Sex is not a bad situation at all. You know, sex, obviously, is very, very good. There's nothing wrong with sex. Sex is great, fabulous, probably even amazing, you know. And God is actually the one who created it that way, you know. It's not something that Adam and Eve just stumbled upon. You know, all of a sudden they're walking in the garden one day and they're naked and like, whoops, what happened there? You know, what was that? You know, it didn't just happen to happen. You know, it wasn't this little piece of the puzzle that came together. You know, it wasn't like that. It was actually something that God created. And uh, God was never against sex. And I think that a lot of times in Christianity, and I think in the world today, when people like Christians talk about sex and they talk about boundaries and they talk about maybe a standard that they want to live by, people just look like, well, that's just old-fashioned thinking or that's just, you know, that's ancient and, you know, that's old, you know, it's Christians, whatever, you know, kind of attitude. And uh, I really want you to understand that, you know, God was never against it. Like I said, he had the power in creating us. And because he had the power in creating us, he had any way he could have wanted to have us to reproduce. I mean, if God would have wanted it to, <laughs> he truly could have walked up and you could have shook hands and out could have popped a baby. If that would have been God's chance. Now I'm going to tell you, be careful when you shake hands now. Because <laughs> you have to look at the boys and say, hi. <laughs> and then you can laugh because you know what I'm talking about. All right? So you can sit there and say to him and say, yeah, you don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> Actually, are you taping this? Okay. Well, they're going to know if they listen. So when you shake hands, be careful, because they're going to think that you're making advances at them. <laughs> so, you know, how scary would it be to walk up, shake someone's hand, and out pops a baby, huh? Pretty scary. You know, <laughs> yeah, at that minute, right then. Psh, okay. But sex was actually planned by God. Obviously, we understand. We know the basics. We've told you about those basics before, and you've heard before. I don't think you really get to this age. I don't even think around 12 years old you probably have gotten to the point to understand that boys have penises and the girls have... Oprah says the JJs. <laughs> so I was just waiting for you guys to say it because I wanted you all to know it's the JJ. Okay. Didn't you, ever see the, didn't you ever see the picture of Oprah doing this, like, you know, thing on this swing where she's flying? She's like, oh, my the JJ. She's like saying, yeah, she's freaking out. Yeah. You guys pay attention. <laughs> That's honestly what she says. <coughs> That's funny. The truth is no greater puzzle was ever created than the whole situation of how a guy and a girl comes together. It's a pretty amazing situation, you know, when you think about it. 
And uh, the thing is, with God, when he created sex, it wasn't just to procreate. You know, I think a lot of times Christians get this mindset and this idea of thinking, okay, we explain to the kids that sex is okay because it's how you have babies. And I want you to know that's not the only reason why God created sex. God actually created sex to be enjoyable and something that's fun. And uh, it's something that he actually had plans of doing. And he wanted women and men to both have pleasure in doing this. And now we're really going to get into deeper subjects, okay? Here I go. Okay. God gave women a clitoris, okay? A part of a girl's the JJ, Okay. Solely for the purpose to enjoy the sexual act. And that's the truth. He could have made us in a way, there was actually no real rhyme or reason. You know, there's no reason why it's there. It doesn't do anything besides that. It's not like, you know, there's this always thing, what does the spleen do? You know, the, the clitoris. That's the only sole reason. It's just for pleasure. And that's why. So God and his amazing plan wanted women not just be involved in the act and just have nine months and then have a baby to take care of for 18 years. (laughs) He wanted her also to say, this is kind of fun. I kind of like it. (laughs) That's what he wanted. Okay? So, again, this is where we get into some interesting topics. God also had in a plan. Oh, gosh, here I go. To let women and men both experience orgasm, okay? It's the pinnacle, the end, the ultimate end of sexual satisfaction where that happens. It's really good when you think about it because orgasms actually stop it. It probably would go on forever (laughs) if it didn't end. Guys probably would do this for days if they could. Seriously. But there's an end that happens. It takes place. Obviously, we know that when that happens for guys, that's when you have the chance of getting the sperm to reach the egg. Okay? They try to figure out how it works, really, with an orgasm for women. They say that with an orgasm for women, it actually does probably develop and have the egg, you know, and, and the whole situation, everything works and flows better you know, when all this takes place. So, God is pretty amazing. He's pretty good. Because women, it would be no fun if really life was all about just having to do something just because you have to do it. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's women that probably enjoy sex less or more than other women. It's probably true. This is not fun with my daughter in the room. <laughs> Yeah, how does it feel for you? Exactly. But, um, you know, and, uh, and, and relatives. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, God is very good because he really did create us to have this amazing life. And, I mean, what a miracle it is to have, you know, an act like that, which really is, um, it could be something that's really meaningful and, and powerful, and intimate, or it could just be very animalistic. You know, but it can actually culminate in life. 
And that in itself is amazing. When you think about the fact, truthfully, that a girl, and, you know, we all know if you've, you're a girl, you obviously most of you by this age have, you know, gone through puberty where we have the cycle. You know, not the bicycle, but, you know, the cycle I'm talking about. You know, the curse. Aunt Flo comes and visits once a month. You know, we all know this. It's not fun. And a matter of fact, it really, really stinks. And I don't know about you guys, but it seems like, honestly, it's just gone, done. And all of a sudden, you're like, it's it again? My gosh, if I could have this much fun in my life, it'd be great. But this is always something miserable that happens all the time. But, you know, the thing is, what happens, of course, is that whole entire thing, what happens every month, when we don't have our period, or when we have our period, it's, it's basically all the stuff that was going to feed and, and nurture the baby inside of us. But because of the fact that it wasn't, fertilized because of the sexual act not, you know, either not taking place or, or the egg not being fertilized. There's no need for it. So God has a plan that all of it comes out and it's done until the next month, until another egg is released. It's quite amazing when you think about a woman and you think about the fact that women are born with every one of her eggs that she's going to have right when she's born. Every one of your possible children are inside of you right now, half of them at least. They're there. I mean, it's quite amazing, you know? Now, we know that guys, of course, I mean, they're constantly reproducing this stuff. <laughs> it's just always happened. Girls just come with it, and this is it. Guys are constantly producing this stuff, and I think it's just because they're just way more maintenance. I just think, I don't know. You know, but the thing is that God really did create something wonderful and powerful and spiritual, truly and what he intended. And like I said, it's not just the fact that you can create life. It's not just that it's a miracle that takes place. When you think about the fact of really what it is, sperm, egg, baby, amazing, amazing. I mean, it is quite amazing when you think that a baby can develop out of that. that that's a miracle. That, that should blow our minds, the thought that a baby can be created out of something like that. It really, truly is a miracle. And uh, even though it's very quite simple how it's done, there is definitely a wrong way and a right way to go about sex. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. I want to talk to you about the reason why there's things that are right about sex and there's things that are wrong about sex. How many of you guys were at the last Bible study that we had at our house? Uh, do you remember, girls, what we talked about? <laughs> yeah. We took an early little foray into the Song of Songs in the Bible, which is, if you've never read Song of Songs, it's really descriptive about two young lovers. And they use some really interesting um, descriptive words like pomegranates <laughs> and uh, climbing ladders to reach the girls' pomegranates and interesting things. And uh, it's, it's, it's quite interesting when you talk about how all these things take place. But one of the points that it's really making in Song of Songs is the fact that um, you're not supposed to awaken passions before it's time. And also, there's another point that I tried to explain to the girls, that it talks about it's your own private garden that you're growing. And you're not really supposed to let anybody in your garden except for the real gardener someday who's supposed to be there, okay? So, 
if you read Song of Songs, and if you haven't, read it. It's quite interesting. It's, it's very, very interesting. I, if you love poetry, you're going to love it. I'm just like, just, what are you trying to say here? <laughs> I'm not a poetry person, so I was like, I don't know where they're kind of going with this. You, you know where you're going with it, but it's kind of uh, interesting. Very intense descriptions describing these body parts of two young lovers, like I said. But the thing that you can definitely see if you read it is you can see that there was a lot of emotions. There were feelings of love that were really between these two people. And that's something that God makes very clear that's taken place. And they're not just the words, I love you, being screamed at that culmination of sexual satisfaction in the midst of an orgasm where someone yells, I love you! They really do love each other, okay? So, yes, it's quite interesting. I'm going to really freak you out, okay? I'm here just to freak you out. You're already freaked out? Yes. I'm going to freak you out worse. You know, I want to talk to you about how sex can just be sex, okay? As far as animals go. I told you I'm going to freak you out. Okay, I want you to know I searched high and low. <laughs> okay. We've all seen that in our backyard. <laughs> and the little kitty cats. The cute little kitty cats. I want you guys to know that I could find way more graphic pictures than that with animals, and I never use them. That's the lamest I could find. So I'm telling you, there are some graphic pictures online about animals. I'm like, what's going on with that? But, you know, (laughs) sex can be just straight-out sex. Animals mating is just sex. It's just about creating a baby animal. You know that elephant? Having sex, and in like two years, they're going to have a little big elephant come out of her. That's what they're going to have. You know, but the thing is we need to understand is we're not the product of animals. Truly, we're not. I I want you to understand that this animal act that takes place, God never intended us to just look at sex as an animal looks at sex, as just an urge, just as an itch to scratch, just as something to do because you're bored. I'm going to tell you, guys... Have sex because they're bored. And they will have sex with a girl because they're bored. They have nothing better to do. There's no good game on. You know, the guy that they were going to go out riding bikes with isn't around. So, hey, you know, it's something to do. That's how they can look at it sometimes. Girls, we think differently. We have to get that in our mind, okay? But we're not like animals. Having sex just to create more animals. And we're not the product of animals. We are the product of a creator in heaven. And the way we're created and the way we look at our faith and the way we look at who we are is how we're going to relate sex. If you really believe that you don't have a creator, if you believe that there is no God, you more than likely are going to probably believe that sex is just like sex, like animals, and, and more Darwinism, and we just evolved, and there's this animalistic feeling, and, and, and you can just kind of understand that. But I'm going to tell you, if you look at yourself and see that you are a product of the living God, who God's word says he created you, he knew you before he even formed you in your mother's womb. He knew you before he created time. He knew who you were. 
if you can recognize how much he loves you and that he knows who you are, that he sees you, he knows that you exist and he's there for you as a heavenly father, you're going to look at it differently. You're going to realize that there's so much more. Any dumb animal with a very small brain can have sex. But making love, which is the sexual act, of course, of two men and women in love, hopefully, you understand, in marriage, is meant to be so much, much more. There's so much more to it. Now, if you've gone to school, how many of you guys here can honestly say that you've gone through some type of a health, you know, somebody talking to you about sex, even your parents just kind of explain a little bit about sex or, you know, if you've gone to school or you've been hung out, if you roll the bus, chances are you're going to have heard a little bit about sex, okay? Yeah. There we go. Most people, that's what they do. I remember when, honestly, Shelby, I think she was like a kindergartner, and she was going to go to the bus, and I was like, oh, no, my little innocent child is going to come home with all these different ideas. And I was a little scared, scared about the whole thing. But, you know, no matter where you've gone to school, no matter what bus you've ridden, no matter if you've gone to a health class or you just have friends that love to tell you about sex, you probably are going to know that sex has consequences. We all know that, right? You've heard all those things before. How many of you here have heard that there is a chance of pregnancy if you have sex? All of us know that. Yeah. We all know no matter what forms of birth control you use, absolutely nothing at all is foolproof. I can tell you right now, that's a little pill baby. (laughs) That's what happened. Birth control pill did not work. I told you I wasn't doing things right. Okay. She has a bad toe. She's insisting it's because of the birth control pills. <laughs> I tell her that she is a product of uh, somebody trying to abort her. The doctor told me, just keep taking the pill. Just keep taking it. And, of course, he wanted me to keep taking it because if you keep taking the pill, what's going to happen is you probably will spontaneous abort. I, of course, thought, no, I would I want to hurt my baby. If this is, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant. I want to have a healthy baby. And I was only 18. I was way too young. But obviously, there's people who have used birth control pills and who've used, you know, condoms, who've used patches, <laughs> sponges, all these different things that they can use to say, I'm not going to have a baby. And we can realize that, you know what, babies happen. Just like... Other things happen, babies happen. Then, of course, how many of you heard that there's STDs? Okay. Sexually transmitted disease, genital warts, herpes, syphilis, and, of course, the big one. Years ago, Eddie Murphy described it like luggage. You never get rid of it. You can never get rid of it. AIDS, okay, HIV. Any and all forms of birth control. Pardon? No pictures of that. No pictures. Any and all forms of birth control cannot stop those things. Basically, it's like playing Russian roulette. It really is. You ever talk about, hear about Russian roulette? Is when somebody takes a gun, they put one bullet in the, the, the uh, chamber, I couldn't think of the word, and spin it, and then they just, and they went and see if it's going to go off. When you have sex, you have a chance every time of developing an STD. 
you know, you can play, you can pay with your health, maybe ultimately your life. A lot of times girls will be like, no, no, but you got to understand my, my boyfriend, he's clean too, you know. Do you know that for sure? I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people that have had sexual abuse. There's a lot of people who have been very um, promiscuous, even if you think that they haven't. And you are ultimately having sex with every single one of those people that they've had sex with in their past. I mean, you ever see, there used to be this, this commercial that was on um, years ago when I was a kid, and it was talking about this, commer- this commercial about hair shampoo, and they said, I told two friends, and I told two friends, and I told two friends, and before long, the whole picture is of all these people using the shampoo. Sex is exactly like that. If you start having sex, you understand you've had sex. You keep expanding that. How many people those people have had sex with? How many people those people have sex with? How many people those people have had sex with? And you ultimately have had sex with people in other countries. I mean, that's what ends up happening. You, you cannot control who you have sex with that easily. But what I want you to understand is all those different things that we're talking about that take place, you've heard all this before. You've heard about the health things. You've heard about the baby things. But what I want to talk to you about tonight is really the uh, aspect of God and how it relates to God. I want you to, to, to talk tonight about um, the fact that sex can really cause a lot of emotional damage. And that's something that we don't get to hear from our friends and we don't get to hear on the bus and we don't get to hear at school in health class. The teacher is not going to say, yeah, but you've got to understand, you know, it could cause you a lot of emotional damage. They're probably not going to say that. They're not going to tell you that. And the really reason why that they're not going to tell you that is because no one wants to talk about that part of it. No one enjoys talking about the part of girls going away and being hurt and really just feeling rejected. And no one wants to relive that pain. I'm going to live for it relive it for you tonight because I'm going to tell you exactly what I told you earlier out of loneliness out of desperation and out of insecurity I made a lot of poor decisions and I really did pay with it we are actually just told to go on tell us that sex is meant to be enjoyed with whoever we decide to sleep with you know in a relationship or maybe even just a one night stand and women we're told nowadays that we're supposed to speak with bravado, you know, tell others all the time that sex is great, it's great. And, uh, you know, us women today in the year 2007, we deserve to have sex and we deserve to experience it just as much as men do. And uh, the problem is, though, is that feeling that you have at that moment, it doesn't last forever. It really doesn't. I was about as sexually liberated as I could be. I was raised by a sister. I didn't have a mom, didn't have a dad. And believe me, I didn't really care about who I was as a person. I basically believed a lie from the enemy, just like most people do today. The thing is, the women are really not supposed to act that way. And truthfully, and this is what really blows people's minds, is men aren't really supposed to act that way either. No matter how much you heard differently, God never intended for men to be sleeping all over the place with different women. Women were not supposed to do that. That's not what was supposed to be. Again, our sweatshirts. If I can ever tell you why I love our sweatshirts, because it says, the Lord spoke to me in the strongest terms, do not think like everyone else does. 
The world tells us it's okay. We can do all these things sexually. We can experiment. We can have fun because we're women of 2007. We're men of 2007. We're just going to experience life and experience it to the full. But the problem is it comes loaded with a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and a lot of memories and a lot of guilt. The one thing that men are always told is that they're supposed to sow their wild oats. How many of you guys have heard that term? You know, sow out, go sow your wild oats. It's like, guys, you know, it's like farming, like spread your seed. You know? <laughs> spread your seed everywhere, you know. Go out and experience women and get all kinds of sexual prowess, you know. Then you're supposed to go back, try to find a girl that you wouldn't be embarrassed to take home to mom. Hopefully a virgin, someone who's never had sex before. Try to settle down with her. Hopefully, and this is guys thinking, he can teach her all those tricks he learned sexually. She's going to be a tiger in bed is what he thinks. You know, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. It all sounds so good, but it doesn't work that way. The thing you have to understand is women do not shut off their brains during sex. What happens instead is even if a woman is a virgin and even if she is in bed with the guy that she's only ever had sex with, what happens is because they can't turn off their brains during sex, even if they're in the midst of it, they're thinking, well, where did he learn to do that? How did he learn to do that? Who was he with when he did that? What'd she look like? Was she better looking than me? Was she thinner than me? Does he think of her now? That's what happens. What I want you to understand and I want you to experience is every time, because of the sexual experience, there's a memory that takes place. There's something that happens. What women do is they imagine the man that they love in the arms of another woman in the midst of sexual experience with their husband. Even though they don't want to know the sordid details, even if they say, I don't want to know, I don't want to know, they are driven to know. And this is exactly what the enemy wants to happen because he wants there to be division. He wants in your marriage to be strife. He wants there to be problems. So the next morning when they get up and the woman says, you didn't take out the garbage again, you know, she's not talking about the garbage. What she's talking about is, you had sex with other women and it hurts me. And every single thing that you've done makes me not trust you now. That's really what happens. And that's truth. That's the relationship. That's marriage. You know, she wanted to be his one and only. Guys want you to be their one and only. Even though right now you think that they don't, they do. And we're going to on, um, is it the first of the year when we all come back together? Or is it, no, it's not next week, but the week after. We're going to have a guy come in, and the guys are going to talk, a couple guys are going to talk to the girls, girls are going to talk to the guys. And we're going to explain the way that girls and guys look at sex differently. Because I don't think sometimes we understand each other. Last week we tried to write down these questions. What are you thinking? What do you want to know about the opposite sex? Guys? They don't, truly. Just like what we showed here up at the beginning, they don't think like us girls. They just don't. Guys, they want to experience all these girls before they're married. 
yet, like I say, they hope for and hold out for a girl that has no experience at all in the sex department. They really don't want a girl that knows so much. I think a lot of times because guys are just insecure. They don't want you to realize that maybe they're not so good at it. <laughs> they're like, no, no, you just be a virgin. <laughs> That's what they're probably thinking. They want to be this only one that they've ever had. They don't really want to think about the aspect of the fact that they slept with all these different girls. And when they did, what they did was they actually stole the experience from a guy someday that she was supposed to be his one and only. They don't think of it that way. They don't care because they're in the midst of an emotion. They're in the midst of the sexual urge, more like animals at that time. Sadly, what happens with men is they bring all those memories of all the times that they have had sex with other girls into that marriage bed. Every time they have sex with their wife, they do have those memories. I can tell you that a guy will sit there and say, no, no, I'm not thinking of her. Probably is. He probably is thinking of the other girl. No matter how many times he says he isn't, and he even doesn't want to, the memories will come up. And he's going to forever compare his wife to the other women. It's just the way it works. It really, really is. He's going to look at his wife sometime. He's going to think. I remember when I was out with that one girl, and she was hot. She was so pretty. She was thin. She was beautiful. He is, what's going to happen is he's going to be married, and when she's tired, he's going to say, yeah, well, I remember that one time I was out with this hot chick, and she couldn't get enough of me. Her hands were all over me. You know, she was just so great. He's not going to stop and think about the fact that, hey, you know, maybe she's just tired because she's raising our kids. He's going to have those memories come up instead. And then he's not going to stop and think about all these women, the fact that, uh, these hot women that he slept with didn't have the chore of picking up his dirty underwear <laughs> and putting up with his, all of his garbage and not taking out the garbage and a lot of his crap that he's doing every day. So what was supposed to have been him and his wife enjoying each other's bodies, like I said, God intended it to be good, instead has become a crowded bed of ghosts, of sexual relationships in the past. And that's what happens. Truly, you do not go to bed with your husband. If you've had sex with other people, you do not just go to bed with them. Those memories will come up. And I'm going to tell you, the enemy makes sure that they do. It happens. Guys will have those memories. Girls will have those memories. It's just the way it works. Women were never, ever meant to have multiple partners. It's just the way we're not made that way. Women are not made that way. We're supposed to have this one and only that we've waited for forever. Shelby talked about it last week, the fact that it's your prince. It's what fairy tales are made of. I mean, all of us grew up with these fairy tale ideas, you know, that we're looking for the one man, the one that's going to be able to unlock, you know, us out of our sleep, and, and we, there he is. That's the one. We're supposed to connect with men on a, not just the physical aspect, but on a much deeper emotional scale. It's supposed to be deeper. It's supposed to be more there. You know, women really long to be understood, to be appreciated, to be loved. Our plan is that we give ourselves fully to this one man who wants to give himself fully to us forever. It's a commitment. It's what women look for and long for. They want somebody that's just going to love them always, you know? 
when women give themselves sexually to a man outside of marriage, whether or not full out intercourse or maybe just sharing her body with them, it really does take a piece of themselves every single time. Do you remember years ago when I taught on this, I told you how we did this thing with the tape? We had a piece of tape, a duct tape or a masking tape, and we stuck it on each person, and then we just kept passing it back. And by the time I got to the back of the room, it wasn't sticky no more. And the whole point with that is this. When a guy and a girl together the first time, and when they're within the bonds of marriage, they are so together. They're so tied to each other emotionally and physically and spiritually and everything. But what happens is if you continually keep having sex with other people, you realize that what you have to offer to the guy that you ultimately do marry someday, you're not going to stick to him the way you were supposed to stick to him. Because you have so many memories of sexual experiences and things that have taken place in your past that you can't even adhere to the man that you finally decide to marry. The bed is too crowded. You know, the one thing that I think that's sad about with women, and I think that women get a bad shake sometimes, is, you know, guys always talk about this drive that they have, don't they? I mean, you hear about guys who are like, I, we thought guys think of sex every, like, so many seconds, and you girls just don't understand, you know, you don't have that drive. I think that kind of is sad because I do think girls do have drives. <laughs> I don't think that we get talked about it very much. Women have sexual drives. You know, we have urges. We want to have sex. You know, girls crave sexual satisfaction. It happens. But when women have sex just to have sex and just to be more like animalistic and just do it that way, it really does distort our own self-image and our self-worth. There's something inside of us that's not meant to have been that way. The sexual experience was intended that a man and woman become one flesh by joining their bodies together in sex. That's how God explains it. He says when men and women decide to marry, what they do is a man leaves his family and he goes to the woman and he has a sexual experience with her and they become one. The problem is when sex happens outside of marriage and there's no real commitment that takes place like in marriage, what happens is this breakup out of the situation. You had this, this supposedly very intimate, you know, intimacy. Do you understand what intimacy means? This is why you don't crave intimacy if you're not ready for more because intimacy means into me, see? Sex, you know? Don't push intimacy if you're not ready for the sexual experience. And if you're not old enough to get married and raise children, you're not ready for the sexual experience. You really aren't. I know. <laughs> I know, okay? The thing is, though, it, it is so damaging to women's self-image and self-worth when they have sex outside of marriage. It really, really does. It hurts a woman so much when they've given themselves sexually to a man and they think it was meant to be forever. And all of a sudden, this relationship breaks and it ends. I'm going to tell you the rest of your life when you see this person, you're going to see him. You're going to kind of just, you're going to do a double take. It happens forever. You never get over it. You never get over it. What happens is uh, 
if you've given yourself to men and a guy breaks up with you and you thought it was going to last forever, what ends up happening is when they break up, women start to compare themselves to the other women. Why didn't he want to be with me? What was wrong with me? What is wrong with me? There must be something wrong with me. He had to have not liked me for a reason. My boobs aren't big enough. That's it. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not thin enough. You know, um, they think, okay, I know what it was. I'm just not hot enough. I wasn't sexually experienced enough. I didn't act like he wanted me to. I didn't act as into the sexual experience as maybe he wanted me to. That's why he went for someone else. So these women think, okay, I got to act in a different way. The problem is the guys were going to leave anyway because they're not committed to you. They're going to leave. Most guys, if they're interested in getting into your pants, they're not old enough and mature enough to have a real relationship with you. They are going to leave soon. It's just a matter of time. Because there's nothing to hold you together. To guys, it's more about getting those notches in their belt. Did you ever hear that saying before? That's what men, they, they, how they say with men, with sexual prowess, to get more and more women. You know, they put a notch on their belt. Years ago, they used to do that. Every time they had sex with a girl, they'd notch their belt, count how many times they've had sex with different women, keep track, you know. Some women do the same thing. Some women think it's cool, and they try to keep track. I've heard it said that before where there's women online that will talk about how many men they've had sex with. Man, you can't even remember the people that you've had sex with, and it gets up to that much. I can't imagine. It's kind of what Shelby talked about last week. These women start to compare themselves, and they start to think that they're not good enough. They're not good in bed enough for men. They start to think that they weren't pleasing enough to a man. This is why women will do this plastic surgery operation, this labiaplasty, to make themselves prettier in their vajayjay just so a guy thinks they're good looking. Down there. I'm going to tell you, most guys don't want to look there anyway. I'm serious. <laughs> no one really wants to look there. I'm serious. <laughs> it's kind of weird. I remember years ago, I remember when I was, I think, like 20-some years old. I was already married. I remember there was, like, Dr. Ruth Westheimer. Do you remember her? She's on and on then. She's on the show. She's, like, 90. <laughs> she talks about sex. You think it's freaky to listen to me at 42 talk about sex. This is a woman. She talks with a real heavy accent, and she talks about women. To take a mirror and look down there, I'm thinking, no, don't. Please, don't look down there. <laughs> you will cry. It's scary. All right. I'm going to tell you, having children when you're in the d delivery room, I mean, most women will have the labor, you know, the, the nice room where it's a hospital bed, looks like a hotel room, and that's all great. But I had, when I had Shelby, I was, uh, had a lot of problems, health problems. They took me right to the delivery room. I'm going to tell you, first thing they did was show a great big mirror right down there, and you're like, oh, my God, please. I don't want to look. I don't want to look. Please. It's like, I was, eight, I was 19 when I had Shelby. So, you know, quite young. How many of you guys are younger, are, are 19 and above right now? Yeah. I was 19. Scary. Scary. So these women will have all these different operations to try to make themselves more attractive. 
And they have all these sexual things done to themselves to try to make themselves look better, feel better for men. There was a woman not too long ago in a Dr. 90210 episode where you can tell her husband didn't even care about her. They weren't even married. I should take that back. They weren't even married. Just together for like eight years. Listen, if he didn't buy the cow by then, he is not buying the cow. He's booking on. And this guy, all he did was check his cell phone. You know there's many women calling him. You could tell. You could tell the way that they edited it. They made sure that you know you knew that he had multiple people checking and chasing after him. But here's this woman. She's having this experience to, because she's had two children, to physically tighten herself down. And you know what the doctor asked? What do you want to feel like? She says, an 18-year-old. She's already had two children, so she's going to try to feel like she's 18 down there so a guy can get more enjoyment. I tell you, guys will love you. You don't need to do all this. You need to be worried about marriage. You need to be worried about having a relationship where it's more meaningful, you know? The problem is there's this guilt that comes when we sleep around. There really is. This lack of self-worth that really does propel us to sleep with men just for sex. And uh, it really ends up being all about self-worth issues because now you start to think that you were just cheap. And then, sadly, the world starts to label you as a whore is what happens when you sleep around. Nowadays, you know what? People maybe don't get that as much. Maybe people are like, oh, you know, she's just going around, she's sleeping around and stuff like that. You know what? People tell themselves that. But you know what? Still, girls... How many of you guys have looked at a girl that's had a lot of sex with some different guys or sleeps around a lot and says, whore? We still say it. We still say it today. We still think skanky, whore. And that's not even bringing into the aspect of the fact of Christianity. It's just how the world even looks at another person who's had sex that, much, that many times. The world says skank, whore, slut. Now put in the aspect of the fact of following after God and we see that God didn't intend it to be that way. God's will is for us to be holy. He actually calls it set apart, sacred, pure. He, there's an also another script, description in the Bible that actually calls it awe-inspiring. That we're supposed to be awe-inspiring. Do you understand when you're in a real relationship with a man who loves you, he is going to be awed by you because there's going to be a deeper level. It's going to be love, a real love, not just a sexual lust but love that's going to happen. What happens a lot of times in Christianity, what happens with girls and guys, is they have this question that they ask themselves when they start to like somebody else. How far can I go sexually? Basically asking, how close can I get to having sex, but yet not really have sex? That's the question they're trying to ask. And what they're trying to do is really draw a line and figure out how close they can get to this line without going over it. That's their whole plan. But God instead tells us to be pure and awe-inspiring and says instead to stay as far away from that line as you can possibly stay. Don't even get close to it. Set yourself back from that line. Why are you trying to get as close to it? Stay back from it. Save yourself the pain, the hurt, the guilt, because it will come. You know, if you lo- talk about what is sexual sin, what is it? What's sexual sin? What does it mean? What does it include? 
Most people, if you talk about what sexual sin is or what culture, the culture says is sex, most people would say it's intercourse. It's the whole aspect of what Shelby described last week of a penis and vagina going in and out, getting out. That's how Shelby described it. <laughs> Don't you remember? Okay. So what ends up happening with women that want to push the boundaries is we convince ourselves that as long as we don't have sexual intercourse, we can still be a virgin and we can still be okay. And that's not going to work. It doesn't work that way. That's not what God wants of us. I kind of have a statistic here. I thought this was really sad. Interesting? Sad. It says here that teenagers seem to be waiting longer to have intercourse. For example, the percentage of 12th grade U.S. students who reported having had intercourse declined from 66.7% in 1991 to just 60.5% in the year 2000. But teens may be replacing intercourse with more alternatives that they perceive as safer. For example, more than 50% of U.S. teens aged 15 and 19 have engaged already in oral sex. This number increases to almost 70% for those who are 18 and 19. And these findings are similar to numbers among Canadian teens. I want you to understand oral sex is sex. It's sex. Anytime your physical body is involved in an experience like that, it's sex. Sadly, even more sad, is more recent several media reports have suggested that there's an increase of anal sex before behavior among teens. I'm going to tell you, it is. It's pornography. It's, it's the idea of pornography. They see this, and they think it's acceptable. In a 1995 survey of teens, males 15 and 19 years of age, 11% have already reported engaging in anal sex at least once. Remember that when you're having relations with a guy that you think is safe. We don't know their history. You don't know if this guy was sexually abused as a child. You don't know what he's had in his past. In a 2002 study of males and females aged 15 and 19, 11% have reported having engaged in anal sex at least once. Sad. This is sex. It's sex. You need to understand that. The problem is pornography, like Shelby says. Um, child pornography, they said this morning, I heard on the news, it's an $85 billion industry. $85 billion annually people spend to watch children being abused sexually. That is one sick society that we live in. Very sick. The problem with what happens in Christianity is people get, um, give Christians such a bad rap. It's like, oh, we're against sex. We're against this. Christians are not against sex. We just want it to be done in the right, right way. We're not at all against it. Matter of fact, you talk to most Christians and you talk to anybody in studies and they will tell you the most sexually satisfied group of people that you will ever find is married people who are alone having sex. They're the very sexually satisfied. The world is very unsexually satisfied. That's why they keep going from partner to partner to partner. You look at what's going on in today's society. We talk about how sex is okay different things okay sexually. Um, all these different things are okay. The problem is it all starts out, we're just bombarded with sexual images every single day in our lives. I mean, we get up, 
commercials are sexualized. We watch television. Every show has sex in it. You see a woman and a man making out. All these different images play over in our heads. Music. I'm going to tell you, Soja Boy, uh, Dirty. How many of you guys have listened to Low by Flo Rida? It's a dance, okay? Wow. That is very sexual, very provocative, very descriptive. You know, the problem is what ends up happening is these songs are really portrayed. I mean, great beats. I'm not saying that the songs aren't good because, you know what, they're very, very good. It's just the lyrics are horrible. And it's really just an idea of women being objects and, and meaning so little. And that's what they constantly just tell us over and over again. There's something wrong where um, guys want to continually keep chasing after another partner. You know, and it is the pornography industry. Truthfully, it really is Victoria's Secret being on mainline television. Men watching that, girls prancing. I mean, you could tell women were cold up on that stage last night. There were women there that were very cold. Believe me, guys notice that. They notice. You know, it's that whole sexual thing where guys just see that and they're just, they're off. You know, the thing is, God tells us to not be that way. Set ourselves apart. Be pure. Be awe-inspiring. He actually had a different standard for us to live by. And Jesus actually says it himself in Matthew 5, 27, 28. He says, you have heard in the law of Moses, do not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust in his eyes has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what do you think that happens when, like, Victoria's Secret models are up there? Guys are lusting. Truthfully, women are lusting because it's a sexual image. I don't care how weird you might think it is. When there is a girl there showing her boobs, I don't care if you're a girl and you don't even like girls, you tend to look there, don't you? There's just something about flesh. You're just like, okay. And you keep looking back at it. You're like, what's the deal? It draws you back. It just keeps drawing you back. I wrote, I blogged a message last week that was my husband's, and he said, a study proved that 20-second look at pornography will last in your mind for 20 years. You know, it stays with us. The enemy makes sure that it does, believe me. What Jesus is really saying in the scripture is that it's simply, you know, it's not the act of sexual sin that's really the problem. It's the thought more so of doing it that's really the problem. It's more about what's really in our hearts. It's what's your desire. What do you want to do? You know, so it's not just staying away from sexual intercourse, and, and that, and, and those other things that I said. But to say in your mind that you're going to stay away from things leading up even to the intercourse and the act of sexual release, you're going to stay away from that. You're going to say, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that, you know. This brings me to a point that I really want to drive home to you. And it's something that I'm going to tell you, I believe for years and the world tells us it's okay. And it just goes to, along with what God's word just said here. Just when you read God's word, you realize, uh-uh, that's a lie. That's a lie. The world will tell us, psychologists and psychiatrists will tell us, it's okay if you just fantasize. Just don't do it. So in your mind, you can think of all these different things. You can think of all these different sexual acts and different people. And you can do all these things in your mind. And it's okay as long as you just don't do it. 
But God just said, didn't he? He said, you know, I say that even anybody who looks at a woman with lust in his eyes already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what God's saying is, no, no, it does make a difference. It does matter what's up here. It really does. Because what you fantasize, you've already done because it's in your heart. It's not the fact that you've used your body. You've used your mind. You've already done the act in your mind. You've already experienced it. You know, there's something to be said that you set yourself apart, pure, lovely, awe-inspiring. Expect more. Want more. Be better. It's not just staying away from sexual intercourse, but staying away from those places and things that you put in your mind and that you think upon. When you know there's a situation that's dangerous for you, when you know that there is a situation where you look at this guy and you're thinking, okay, he's good looking, he's hot. It's true. It happens. It happens to all of us. You know what? You think, okay, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to do that. The thing is what we have to understand is there is this line of sexual purity. And like I said, don't try to get close right to it. Stay back from it. But the thing you have to understand is each one of us has our own personal line. Whereas something might be a struggle for me, it may not be a struggle for you. Something might be a real struggle for you, I may not even think about it. It may not be nothing for me. You know, but, you know, some of us have nerves of steel, can handle anything being thrown at us. Other people are like, man, you know, get me near a guy, and it's like, I can't, ha- I can't handle it, you know? Some people can read things, and they don't go off and think about things. Some people can see things, and they don't have a problem. Some people can be in a situation where they're, you know, talking to a guy or, or hugging them, and it's not a problem. If it is a problem for you, know your boundary. Know where your line is. The one thing that the Bible talks about is the fruit of self-control. Self-control, I think, is one of the toughest things that you're ever going to have to develop as a Christian. There's a standard that God sets. He talks about once we really accept him as Savior, as Jesus, that he lives inside of our heart, he says from then on what you're going to do is you're going to have to fight down your sinful nature because we all have this sinful nature where we want to feed ourselves. It's all about being selfish. It's about me and how I feel and what I want. And what God tells us is, no, be concerned about God and be concerned about your neighbors, your friends, your family, the loved ones that you have in your life. That's what you're supposed to concern yourself with. Treat people with respect. Treat people with kindness. Quit worrying about yourself. But we're very selfish. Self-control is so difficult. We always want to feed ourselves. Be first in line. Treat me better than the rest of them. I want what I want, you know? But fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Work on it. Try to really set a boundary for yourself. Try to work on it. The one thing that the writers in the Bible say is that each of you will control your own bodies and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways do. Do you understand? If you are a Christian, I'm not saying, if you're not a Christian, you're not going to understand this. There's still, I'm going to tell you, there's still a way that's right way and a wrong way. But if you've ever, ever, even remotely considered yourself a Christian, a follower of God, a daughter of the Most High God, he calls you his child. If you consider yourself that at all, understand that he says you're not supposed to think like the way that pagans do. Pagans are someone who doesn't believe in a God. Don't think the way that they do. Do things different. Don't just go off in lustful passion and just do whatever you want to do just to do it. Follow after God and do it the way he says. Be awe-inspiring. Don't you want to someday be able to look at your husband and say to them that, 
I saved myself for you. Don't you want to go into a relationship with your husband and thinking, he only has had sex with me? That's what you want. I'm going to tell you, it is a very crowded place to have other people in your bed. We all have to have boundaries in our sexuality. You do need to know yours. But I want you to understand one very important thing. You need to respect and understand that other people have boundaries too. Girls, this is what I want to explain to you. Do not entice men. Don't wear shirts that are cut down to here showing every bit of your cleavage. Don't walk around and sit there and dance provocative in front of guys. That might be their boundary. If he's a Christian guy especially. I, I know I've seen women throw, myself at my, throw themselves at my, my son. I've seen it. Cameron and Shelby both are, are planning on being virgins when they're married, and they don't want to have sex before marriage. Thank God for it. But you know what? That doesn't make them, you know, like they're, they're some sort of robot. They still have to make that choice for themselves daily. Cameron still has to deal with the, the fact that women throw themselves at him. And he has to sit there and say, oh, okay, I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to think upon that. I'm not going to do that. So you yourself, if you are a real Christian girl, think about what you come dressed to church in. How do you sit? Do you purposely lean over and make sure that a guy sees down your shirt? There's some power in it, girls. There really is. I had to retrain my whole way of thinking. I really did on how I looked at men. I do speak from authority here. I want you to understand. I did everything wrong that I could do wrong. There was a whole lot that led me to a life of promiscuity. There really was. One of the things I tell my kids, my kids, there's no surprise in this. I told them my innocence, my innocence was stolen from me years ago. I, um, when I was very little, had, there, there was a lot of sexual abuse going on in our family. You know, um, when I was a kid, when I was five, six years old, and when my dad was not living at home, I just had sisters and brothers living at our house. My sister Bev had already moved out with her husband, Dennis, and uh, I was just basically raised by 15, 16-year-old girls and guys that came over. Earlier in the time, my, my, my dad, who was their stepdad, sexually molested those girls. Even though I may not physically remember and everything, you can sense, you know there's something going on. And I was raised with that. I sensed it, I think. I remember before the age of seven years old, walking into my house when I lived at the housing and seeing pornography laying on the table. And this isn't Playboy, and this isn't Penthouse. This isn't just the simple stuff. This was hardcore pornography that was bestiality. This was sex between women and animals that I saw when I was like five, six years old. You know, no one should have to deal with that at five, six years old. No one. Truthfully, what happened is they stole my innocence as a kid. They really did. Stole your innocence, put me in this mindset that it was normal for me to think about sex all the time. And it wasn't. It wasn't normal. You know, if you couple that with the fact that I had a very absent, abusive father that was an alcoholic, that gave me no love, never told me he loved me, you can see why I searched out men. Why at 13 I started sleeping around. You know, why I already started to have sex with guys. Why I searched for that. The reason why is because I just wanted someone to love me. I was very insecure. I was lonely. 
and I was very desperate. You know, I, I want you to, to know that we are a product of how we're raised. I didn't know any better. I'm hoping that tonight, if you're here, that you see that you can want more for yourself. You can be better. I am so thankful. I, I, one of the things I've always been so impressed with my daughter about, she's never cared to be so attractive to men that she would just act and dress a certain way. She's always been herself. And you know what? I had such a hard time with that because I was all about just trying to be pretty and trying to be attractive for men. That's what it was always about. And even when I was young, I remember being like, even though I got through all this different stuff and I was doing some stuff, I had, you know, brother-in-laws and family members expose themselves to me. And it was always this, really a sexual attack. And I started to think, is it me? Did I do something? Why does this happen to me? You know? And truthfully, you have to understand, it's just the world is very depraved. I blame myself for something that men did. As I was waiting to get on a school bus, somebody sitting in a desk next to me, a guy that was old, to show himself to me. That's sick. I didn't deserve that. But because of the fact of how I was raised, I thought I did something wrong. And you're not. You didn't do anything wrong. You deserve so much more. God worked it out with me and my husband. I mean, it's really rare that anybody starts to have um, sexual relations and dates someone who's, my husband was 16, I was 13. You know, it's very rare that somebody will stay married all these years. The only reason why we are is because of Jesus. I'm going to tell you, me and my husband would have been divorced a long time ago if it wasn't for the fact of me understanding who Jesus was and getting my life in order because I was ready to leave. I was ready to give up. I wasn't ready to stay in a marriage no more with him. I wanted to go out and experience so much more because, you know what, I started to believe the lie that, you know what, well, you've only been with this guy. Don't you want to have more sex than that? I mean, this is just him. Why wouldn't you want more? Because I started to believe a lie of what the world was telling me. You know what? God wants so much more. And the reason why John and I are still married is because of the fact that I did get saved and I did change my life. I respect my daughter that she doesn't care to be so attractive to men that she'll sell herself short. She'll put on low-cut shirts just to be attractive so some guy notices her. I love the fact that she doesn't have to have her hair perfectly. She can do her hair red if she wants. She don't care. We have her and I talk. Guys might notice the blonde. They notice blondes. Where I was so shallow... I could not have blonde hair. God knows I wanted to have blonde hair. I wanted guys to notice me. Never been a problem for her. I love that about my daughter. I think it's so great that she has a different whole outlook on life. I want you to know that even though we have a past, even though I did what I did, that God can always give us a fresh start. I made such poor choices. I was the profile of what not to do. But the thing is, I can look back at my life, I can talk to you with complete openness because right now I can tell you that that person is not me no more. It really isn't. That person is no longer who I am. I look at that person, I just feel pity now. I feel pity. I feel sad that that was me, that that's really who I was, that I didn't want more, that I didn't have more. 
But now I look at it and I think that God has done such a miracle in me. I mean, has someone who had, you know, sex and started sleeping around at 13 has the opportunity to try to tell other girls to live a life of purity and to try to teach them about how they need to follow after Jesus Christ. That's what's so great. I want you to understand that one of the things that God talks about in his word is he says he gives beauty for ashes. I can't tell you how much that scripture verse means to me because I look at my life and I think what a failure I was. When I look at who I was and I think and think, now he's given me such beauty. He's given me such beauty. I mean, he, the stuff that I was, he can wipe all that away. And what's so great about God is when we accept him as our Savior and we ask for forgiveness of our sins, he truly does not remember them anymore. And you know what? When the enemy starts to whisper to me, you know, you did this, you did that, I can simply say, yeah, but that was not me. That's not the person I am now. And you know what? It gives you an authority and it gives you such peace. And if you have done anything physically that you need to be forgiven for, God's there to offer that forgiveness for you. He doesn't look at you with shame and hate. God only ever looks at you with love and compassion and a willingness to just wipe all that clean. I'm happy that I don't forget everything. One thing I'm great about with salvation, I think that's wonderful, is when we get saved, we don't forget. I'm glad I don't forget the person I was. Because sometimes when I'm in the midst of, like, worshiping God and I'm in service, and you know what, I just stop and think, I'm like, thank you, Jesus, that that's not me no more. And it just makes me love God more when the enemy whispers something to me, brings up a memory of something that I've done. It makes me love Jesus more, even more. Whatever you've done sexually, God can forgive you for anything, anything at all. And I want you to understand that this is not here just to tell you sex is bad. Obviously, I want you to understand sex is very, very good. Nothing wrong with it. He just really wants us to understand that it's within the confines of marriage that he wants it to be. He wants it to be one man, one woman, committed, where none of us are going anywhere. You know, when we can give ourselves sexually to a guy, and we know he's not leaving in the next minute, he's going to be there for the long haul. He's going to be there to provide for you. He's going to be there for you to be a father to your children. There's something about security that makes your life go right. When you don't have it, there's such guilt that comes involved. Anyway, I do want to talk to you real quick. I want to pray for you before we dismiss. But I want to give anybody, and I'm not saying you have to do this tonight, if there's anything ever that you want to ask me to pray for, you want to ask Jesus as your Savior, anybody can do it at home. All you have to do is say, God, forgive me of my sins. Wipe it clean. Give me a fresh start. I'm going to make you Lord of my life. That's all you have to do, and that's Jesus. That's forgiveness. It's nothing hard about it. I think people have this idea of thinking that you have to make this commitment to the church. You have to make a commitment. You're going to be here at CYM every single week. You don't have to do that. Your relationship is with Jesus. That's what you need to understand. You can ask Jesus for forgiveness anytime you want. It can happen, and it can be yours. Right now in your head, in your mind, you can say, God, forgive me what I did. Give me a fresh start. I'm going to do right. I'm going to turn from those sins, and I'm going to make you Lord. And he does. That's all it takes. It's not a secret combination. But if you need me to pray with you about something, seek me out sometime tonight. Talk to me on MySpace. Send me a message, anything. I'm here to pray with you. I'm here to help you. I'm never here to throw judgment on you. I have no right. I did everything that wasn't so right. And I understand where anybody comes from. I want you to understand that. So let me just pray for you real quick, okay?
Lord, I just pray, Father, that you would just help each person here to be able to look at themselves and just step back from the situation, Lord. I just pray that you would help them to realize that despite this sexual urge and the sexual ideas that you put in our, in, that you have given us, God, that's good, if we've used it for bad, if we've turned around and, and done things physically or emotionally, Lord, that we shouldn't have, I just pray, Jesus, that you would just uh, really just help these people to understand that you offer forgiveness, that you offer them a fresh start. I just pray, Jesus, that you would just help them, Lord, to really just be able to develop and put a line that you would let them there be a, a line that they could not cross any longer. I just pray, Jesus, that you would just help each person to grow in you, to mature in their faith, and to be able to walk with you. And I just thank you, Father, for everything that you're going to do here tonight and what you're going to do in the coming weeks and, Lord, also in the coming year. I just pray that there are fresh starts tonight that are going to take place, and we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming. Next week, Cassie's going to speak, and I think Gina's going to say something too next week.